Good evening, everyone. What an exciting moment indeed to embark together in our series entitled Certainty in Uncertain Times. Um, I've been looking forward to the series. I hope you have. How many of you actually received the flyer here? Yeah? All right, great. So you had a little look there at some of the topics which are actually phrased in questions. And uh, I'm sure that um, you, as, as, as I have, uh, have these questions at some point or later in our lives. We wonder, why is, why is this world that we're living in such a chaotic place? How did it get like this? Uh, questions like, what happens after a person dies? And how do I know what the future is going to hold? These are the type of questions that we're going to be looking at in the course of six evenings together, actually, uh, beginning tonight, uh, and then tomorrow and Sunday, and then next weekend, Friday, uh, Saturday, and Sunday as well. So I hope that you're going to make it a priority uh, to be there uh, at each of these evenings. I'm going to make it a priority, and I hope to see you as well. Uh, We are going to go on a journey together. And uh, we're going to go on a journey in Bible prophecy. Um, Let me give you a little bit of background uh, about myself and why I'm actually doing what I'm doing. You're wondering, well, you know, why are you here? Why are you doing this? Um, I did not grow up as a Bible-believing Christian. Um, I actually grew up in a family, and my parents um, were were non-believers. They had grown up as Catholics, but they kind of said goodbye to religion altogether. And uh, so I grew up in a non, uh, non-Christian home, uh, but uh, through a, basically through different circumstances, we came in contact with a, a Christian individual, was a colleague of my father actually, that started sharing with us some amazing things in the Bible, things that I did not believe were in the Bible. Uh, I literally thought the Bible is some ancient book that really has no relevance for me living today. Um, But he started sharing these amazing prophecies. Now, what is a prophecy? When we say a Bible prophecy seminar, what do we mean by prophecy? Prophecy is simply the prediction of an event to come or a future event. And so um, uh, this individual started to share with my family Bible prophecy, and that was basically the beginning of a new chapter. And um, I, myself, um, in my late teens, early 20s, decided um, to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And much of that had to do with my studies of Bible prophecy. The Word of God became relevant to me. Now, this is, you know, you don't really think of that as a teenager or in your early 20s that suddenly the Bible becomes this interesting book, a book that I could just not put down a book that I had to study and read and investigate, and and there was just new beauty every time I would read and study these prophecies. Um, In my early 20s, I went to a Bible college, and uh, in finishing that Bible college, I ended up getting married with my Norwegian wife, Sylvia. She's sitting right there, if you can just stand up for a moment. This is my Norwegian bride. And um, in 2003, which is just over 10 years ago, we started a ministry together, And that ministry is called Living Water. And it's really based upon that uh, moment there when Jesus met um, the Samaritan woman. Maybe you remember the story in John chapter 4. And she came to draw physical water, but Jesus said, I have a better water for you. That was the living water, the gospel of Christ. We started this ministry in 2003. And uh, in a number of years, we found ourselves traveling literally all over the globe. 
And in the last 10 years, we have traveled to, to uh, Asia, to India, to New Zealand, to Australia, to Africa, to North America, uh, basically um, five of the continents. I've just, we've just not been in South America yet, but we hope to visit there sometime. And uh, conducting evangelistic prophecy series like this, looking at Bible prophecy. What does the Bible um, have to say about the times we are living in and what does the future hold? And uh, we have been very blessed by this work and uh, by, I don't even really consider it a work, I really consider it just a joy. This is just a passion and, uh, and something that I love to do. So uh, I look forward to our series together starting this evening as we're going to get into Bible prophecy and we're going to look at some of the most fundamental questions of life. And one of those fundamental questions of life is, right here, our first question for our first evening, a chaotic world, where is God? Or we could rephrase that question something like this, if God is a God of love, why is there so much suffering in this world? Anyone ever wondered about that? Right? If God is a God of love, why is there so much suffering in our world today? In order to answer that question, we are going to go to Scripture. And um, as Samuel already mentioned, we actually have two presentations for you this evening. So we're going to get right into it in just a moment. Uh, we will then take a break, and then our second presentation will again be very focused on Bible prophecy. We're going to look at an amazing prophecy that shows us where we are in the scope of time and what is going to happen in the very near future. You don't want to miss that one. Now, I tend sometimes to speak a little fast, and so if you sometimes think that I speak a little bit too fast, don't worry, because all of the information, or much of the information that I share with you, um, is also... Um, we, we published it in a little booklet or a little handout that you will receive at the end of each evening. So if you are taking notes and you miss a verse or you miss a thing, you will receive such a handout in the end so that you can go over it in your own speed. Okay? And also what we want to do is we want to make all of these audio uh, messages uh, available for you. So you think, oh, I wish I could share this with so-and-so or I wish I could hear this again. We will have a website we will make that known to you in the course of these evenings where you can go and you can download these messages. All right? So how many of you are excited to get started? Amen. Amen. Now, I believe that in order for us to arrive at the good uh, conclusions of truth as God has revealed it to us, we must study this book, and that's the Bible. So all that we say and all that we do uh, in the course of our time together must be founded upon the Word of God. Amen? So... I believe it's so important for us as we get started to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us in our understanding. It was the Holy Spirit that inspired men of old to write down the scriptures and it is the same Holy Spirit that inspires us to understand what they wrote. So we need to have a short word of prayer as we get right into our presentation this evening. So I just invite you to bow your heads together with me as we pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful to be here um, we look forward to what you have in store for us in your word, and so we ask your Holy Spirit to guide us now as we embark upon this journey together in our series, Certainty in Uncertain Times. Lord, we truly look around us, and the world is an uncertain place, and yet with you, we can have certainty. Help us to find that as we study your word. We invite you to be with us now, and we ask these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, I don't think I have to use a lot of time this evening with describing that the world in which we live is actually an uncertain place. Um, a number of years ago, um, I was traveling to the country of New Zealand, which is basically the country where, where I was born. And the first 10 years of my life, I lived in New Zealand. Uh, my parents are Dutch, and so when I was 10 years old, they decided to move back to Holland. So I've lived part of my life in New Zealand, part of my life in Europe, and uh, part of my life about everywhere you can imagine. So uh, very international in that sense. But I was traveling back to New Zealand to conduct actually a series on Bible prophecy, and this was in um, the year 2011, so just a few years ago. And some of you might remember hearing on the news or reading on the news about the great earthquake that took place in the city of Christchurch in the southern island of New Zealand. How many of you remember hearing about that earthquake? Yeah, quite a number of you. It's interesting that um, there are certain things that we just don't expect to shake. And one of those things is... The earth. You don't expect suddenly the earth to start shaking. It's a very, uh, you know, awkward experience. Uh, but this is what happened. Uh, there was a big earthquake that hit the city of Christchurch, and uh, it just, you know, pe people lost their lives, and people lost their homes, and, and there was a lot of uncertainty. You know, there are certain things that we try to control in our lives. You know, we want to make sure that we have a job so that we can earn money, so that we can sustain our families. But there are things that just suddenly happen that cause us to wonder, where can I find certainty? And uh, I just remember speaking with a lot of the people there in New Zealand that had gone through this tragic event of this earthquake, and they're just wondering, where can I find certainty? My friends, there is one place where you can find certainty, and that is in the Word of God. And the beautiful thing about the Word of God is that it's unshakable. It's unshakable. And what we are going to do this evening is we are going to look at some passages in Scripture that reveal to us why we are living in an uncertain world and what we can do in order to find that certainty. Um, it's as if the world is crying. Literally, there are tears. You look around you, you look at the news, you read the newspaper, and there is just tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And we wonder to ourselves, where did this all come from? And so to answer that question, we are going to push the rewind button, and we're going to go back in time, and we're going to go back all the way to the very beginning. We're going to go back to the very first chapter of the Bible, and in Genesis chapter 1, we read that God created the heavens and the earth. And there is a reoccurring uh, phrase in Genesis chapter 1 that is very interesting. Every time that God created something through the word of his mouth, he declared it to be good. And uh, you can read uh, Genesis chapter 1. It's very interesting. God creates something, and he declares it to be good. He creates something else, and he declares it to be good. He creates something else, and he declares it to be good. And he does this for a successive six days. He creates everything. And on the sixth day, he creates the human being. And then he steps back, and he says it was very good. It's almost like an artist that has just finished painting that picture and steps back and, and kind of looks at it and just says, wow, this is very good. Like a, a sense of satisfaction. God has now created all things. Uh, you come to the end, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, the last verse of the chapter, and it says, then God saw, then God saw 
everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good, so the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So when we look at Scripture from the beginning, the first chapter in the Bible tells us that everything is very good. But when you start looking at the world around you, can you say the same thing? Well, not quite. You can look certainly at things in your life and say, now that was very good, and that was excellent, and that was great. But there are also a lot of things in your life that you can look at and you say, well, that is tragic. And it doesn't have to be things only that you see on the news, but it can be even things in your own very life. Maybe you've gone through a divorce. That was not something very good. Maybe you've had a family member that was diagnosed with cancer. That was not something that was very good. In other words, there are many things in our life that we cannot say they were very good. Now, why is it? If the Bible tells us that from the very beginning everything was very good, then what has happened? Now, I'm going to bring you from the Old Testament now to the New Testament, and we're going to look at a parable of Jesus. And this parable of Jesus, just when we look a little bit deeper at it, it just unfolds an, an amazing truth for us about why we're living in the type of world that we're living in. And this is found in Matthew chapter 13. Now, as you see, I have a number of these verses on the screen so you can follow along, but I think it's also great. I see some of you have your Bibles with you. You're welcome to turn to these passages and read along uh, with me. And uh, we're looking at Matthew chapter 13, and this is a parable of Jesus. Now, Jesus spoke in parables, which are really like illustrative lessons that he gave. Uh, at the same time, a parable contains some amazing insights into the very mysteries of God. And take notice of this parable found in Matthew 13. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. What kind of seed did he sow? Good seed. In the beginning, God created everything very good. Okay? Now look at what it says. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. Okay? So this is a parable of Jesus, a story he's telling. Someone goes out and sows good seed. If you sow good seed, what are you going to expect? A good harvest right? But then when the harvest comes up, not only is there the, the wheat, the good, but there are also the tares, or what we would call the weeds. And then there's the question like, why? Why is there also weeds here amongst the good harvest, the good fruits? Well, the parable goes on. So the servants of the owner come and came and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, and here comes the key phrase, an enemy has done this. An enemy has done this. In the parable, Jesus identifies that there's an enemy in the picture. Okay? Now, um, I, I, I always, when I read the Gospels, when I read the Scriptures, I, I think to myself, you know, I wish I was one of the disciples because if you're one of the disciples, uh, you could always go to Jesus and ask whatever question you had. And you can just imagine, Jesus is, is, is speaking this parable to, to many people, but then in the end of the day, his disciples come to Jesus and they say, now tell us a little bit more about that parable. Tell us a little bit more about what you meant when you said that, that, you know, that good seed and then the enemy coming in and then, you know, the weeds and the tears. Tell us a little bit more about that. And that's exactly what Jesus does. And listen to what he says. 
He answered and said to them, to the disciples, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. And what Jesus does here is he's now identifying the roles or the characters within this parable. And he says, okay, the one that is sowing the good seed is the Son of Man. Now that is, in other words, pointing to himself. That's me in the parable. I'm the one that is sowing the seed. The field is the world. So suddenly this parable takes on this panoramic picture. It becomes much larger. It becomes much bigger, right? The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. And listen to what it says next. But the tears are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is who? Is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Now suddenly you can reread that parable and, you know, it, it has a much larger meaning. It involves the world in which we live. The title of our series here is Certainty in Uncertain Times. There is no doubt that we are living in uncertain times. I don't think I have to use a lot of time to, to establish that fact. We're all experiencing it. There is this uncertainty in the air. There's even maybe an uncertainty in your life where the next paycheck is going to come from. There's an uncertainty as to, as to you know, sickness that we maybe personally experience or a loved one is experiencing. And we are wondering, how can we find certainty? We look around us, and yes, there are good things in our life, but at the same time, there are things that we just don't know how to cope with. And Jesus gives us a parable, and he says, you know, there's a sower that goes forth to sow good seed, but then there's an enemy that sows tears, and both of them are growing up. And then he identifies the field as the world. And isn't that a graphic description of what we see in our world today? I mean, we go through life, and as you are going through life, it's almost that you're walking through the field, right? The field of the parable. You're walking through the field, and good things happen, and then tragedy hits you. And then good things happen, but the next day, tragedy can hit you, and you are seeing the wheat and the tears in your life. And we would like to know who is responsible for the good and who is responsible for the tragedy. Do you want to know? Oh, I definitely want to know. And I, and I wondered about that as a young person. And I know that there are millions in this world that are wondering about that. Where do these things come from? And Jesus, in a simple parable, he points to where the good seed comes from and where the tares come from. An enemy has sowed them. An enemy, that is the devil, is responsible for the uncertainty and the tragedy in our world. Now, we want to look a little bit closer at this. We want to look a little bit closer at this by going to some other passages and also to some amazing prophecies to further, um, to further uh, elaborate upon this. Who is this figure, the devil? Because, you know, you can play this word game where I will say a word and you have to, you know, think um, of, of, of you, you need to get the, a picture in your mind, right? So if I say, for example, uh, dog, you all have now a picture in your mind. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's your pet. Maybe it's the dog of the neighbor that keeps you awake during the night. You know, but if, or if I say the word vacation, for some of you, it's on the beach in Florida. For others, it's skiing in Norway, like myself. So you have a picture when I say a word. Now, if I say the word devil, what kind of picture do you have? For many of you, the picture will be the little, you know, the little dragon-like figure with the pitchfork, you know, the horns. He's red, right? He's red. 
and he's in charge of a place called hell. Now, that's the picture that we usually have or that many have, and it really, it really comes from, it steams from uh, medieval art of the Dark Ages. We are going to find out something amazing this evening as we look a little bit closer at this figure, the devil, because the Bible has quite a different picture that it gives us of this being. Now, I want you to take notice of another passage here um, found in the book of Luke chapter 10, Luke and the 10th chapter. And uh, Jesus has just sent out his disciples, or actually um, a larger group than the uh, closer inner circle of 12. He actually sent out 70 of his followers, and he gave them power to preach the gospel, to cast out demons, and to heal the sick. And they come back with the report that um, God has been with them and that the Holy Spirit has been working through them. And uh, listen to this conversation between Jesus and the disciples as it gives us a little bit of a deeper insight into this being called the devil. Luke chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, Jesus responding to the disciples, listen to these words. I saw Satan fall like lightning from where? From heaven. Now that is quite a statement. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, if I tell you I was painting my house and I was on the ladder and I fell from the ladder, if I say to you I fell from the ladder, you can conclude that if I fell from it, I was at one point on that ladder, right? If I tell you now, you know, if I now fell from the stage, then I was at one point on the stage, right? Now, if Jesus says that he saw Satan fall from heaven, in other words, we can conclude that at one point of time, the devil was where? In heaven. Now, huh, isn't that kind of startling? That's not really where you would expect him to be. As a matter of fact, many people would think, well, you know, he, isn't he in charge of hell, rather? The Bible reveals that at one point of time, the devil was actually in heaven. And we're going re- to even go uh, deeper into scripture and find out what kind of being he was in heaven. Okay? Now, we turn our attention to the book of Ezekiel, which is an Old Testament book. A prophet by the name of Ezekiel wrote this book. And in the 28th chapter of Ezekiel, beginning in verse 13, Ezekiel gives us an amazing picture of this being called the devil. Now, he's not identified as the devil here, but when we look at the description, we're going to find out that this is exactly who we are reading about in this passage. Now, take a look at what Ezekiel writes here in Ezekiel 28, verse 13 and 14. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, the diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. That's describing here a beautiful being. Just imagine all those stones, all that beautiful radiance that must reflect from those amazing, that amazing adornment. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. 
talks about this beautiful being in the Garden of Eden. Now, there weren't a lot of beings in the Garden of Eden. We know about Adam was there, Eve was there, God was there, and then it's talking about this being that is obviously a different being than those others I just mentioned. Now, I want you to take notice of what it says next. You were the anointed cherub. Now, now, now that, that phrase, anointed cherub, you can also find in other places in the Bible, and a cherub is an angel, okay? A cherub is a type of angel. The anointed cherub was a very special angel, as we're about to learn. Interesting, a being that was in Eden that was adorned with these beautiful um, stones, these, these, these precious stones, and he's called an anointed cherub who covers. And then God, God is speaking here through Ezekiel, and he says of this being, I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. So this is a special angel, and he had special access into the very presence of God himself. Wow. Actually, when you look at the anointed cherub, it's interesting. When you study um, the sanctuary service, which you can read about in the Old Testament um, Bible, in the Old Testament scriptures, um, you learn that the anointed cherub was actually the cherub that was carved out and was the uh, the lid uh, of the Ark of the Covenant, where they placed the Ten Commandments inside. And so the anointed cherub was really one that was very close to God himself. This being that is described here in Ezekiel was a being that had access to God and that was at the very side of God. Now listen to what it says in verse 15, because here the, here the description takes a drastic turn. Ezekiel 28, verse 15. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Another word for iniquity is sin. Okay? So what it does here, it describes a beautiful angel, an anointed cherub, but then it tells us that this anointed cherub turned, basically, turned away from God. Iniquity was found in this being. This being sinned against his very maker. And there are other passages that we're about to go to that further describe how this happened. Now, what have we found out so far in our presentation tonight? Our, we have found out that we are living in uncertain times and that Jesus himself gave us a parable that shows that there is good and evil in this world, right? The parable of the wheat and the tares, but that the one that is responsible for evil is not God. It is the devil. Then we have looked at this being the devil and where he came from. He came from heaven. Jesus himself said, I, felt, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And then we have looked at a description of this being in Ezekiel 28, and he is an anointed angel of God, an anointed cherub. So at one point of time, the devil was this beautiful angel that was, had access into the very presence of God, but something went wrong. He rebelled against his maker, and so in the aftermatch of that, we are experiencing a war, a cosmic war. We could call it a great controversy. Okay? Now, isn't it interesting? Um, I always uh, face the question, and this is a very good question, and that is, well, why, didn't, why, why did God allow this to happen? If he created this perfect angel, 
why did this perfect angel sin? Why did this perfect angel rebel? Uh, why did God allow that to happen? And uh, that is a very good question, and uh, I'm not sure if we can find, um, uh, you know, if, if we can fully find the answer, but one thing is for sure. And that is that in order for love to be real love, it must be allowed to say no. In other words, when God creates, and he created all the angels, and he created the human beings, he created them with free choice. Now, that was a risk to take. You know, God could have created all the angels like robots that were just programmed to obey him, and nothing would have ever gone wrong. But can a robot love you? No. In other words, in order for God to be love, which the scriptures portray him to be, God is love, in order for love to exist, there must also be the capacity to say no to that love. Just think of it this way. I'm married to Sylvia, and when I asked her to marry me, she said yes, and I'm very happy for that, but she could have said no. Now, if she could not have said no, then our marriage would not be as special as it is today. You agree? In other words, because there was an opportunity to say no, there is the existence of free will, and the existence of free will actually puts love in its true meaning on display. Amen. You get that? Uh, we can put it this way. I think I have it here up on the screen. Um, these were basically the options that were available to God, right? He could either decide to create nothing at all, to play safe, and just don't create anything because then nothing can go wrong, or he could create beings who were not free, so programmed beings that just did exactly as he said. Or he could create beings who were free, free to love or not to love. Now, he decided to do the third thing there, and this shows that he's really a God of love. A God of love must create beings who are free, free to love or not to love. We could say it like this. Love requires freedom... Freedom involves risk. Risk entails moral responsibility, and moral responsibility requires moral choice. Right? You follow that logic there? There must be moral choice. There must be a freedom to decide if love will exist. Well, what exactly went wrong then? Let's go to Isaiah chapter 14 and take a look, because this is a phenomenal passage of Scripture. The prophet Isaiah, basically, he, he, he basically just pulls back the curtains and gives us a picture of what is going on beyond, behind the scenes. He gives us a picture of what is going on in the very mind of this being, Satan, the devil, or also called in this passage, in this passage Lucifer, this angel, this exalted being that had access to the very throne of God. Listen to what Isaiah says about this being. Isaiah chapter 14, beginning in verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, here he's kind of pulling back the curtains and showing, what is showing us what is going on in the very mind or in the very heart of this being. Listen to what is going on. You have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. 
I will be like the Most High. Now, is there a word that repeats itself a number of times in this passage? The word I. I like to say it this way. Lucifer had an eye problem. Not an eye problem, but an eye problem. Right? He had an eye problem. He had a problem with self. He had a problem with pride. Right? Lucifer no longer wanted to love. He only wanted to be loved. Lucifer no longer wanted to serve. He only wanted to be served. Right? And so this is a problem that is developing within the heart of this being. And it came to a point where he revolted against God, against his maker. And there was, the book of Revelation tells us that there was a war in heaven between Christ and this being Lucifer. There was a war in heaven. And, and praise God, Lucifer lost that battle. And he lost his position in heaven, and the Bible tells us that, that, that he was cast out. And we're going to, in a moment, look at how this world became, became involved in this, what we could call this great controversy. But isn't it interesting that the very problem of Lucifer, we could, the I problem, is the same problem that we all face in our lives today. Just think about, about it for a moment. Whatever problem you are facing right now, I bet that you can trace that problem uh, many times to the fact that there is this self that wants to be seen and wants to be heard and wants to be made known. Just think about it. Why do marriages break? Well, it's because of the I problem, right? Why, why is it that, that, that there, there's contention in the job situations, in job situations? Because there's the eye problem. The eye that wants to be seen, the eye that wants to be heard, the eye that wants to be known, right? We all deal with this. None of us are left out of this problem. We all have this problem, and there's only one solution. And my friends, that is Jesus Christ. It's the gospel, amen? Where, as Paul, said, as Paul the apostle put it, that we can actually die to self so that Christ can live in us. But this is really the problem that we find in our world today. A problem of self, a problem of sin, originated in the heart of Lucifer, but found a place in each of our hearts, and that's why we need a heart transplantation. What do you say? A spiritual heart transplantation, where the Bible says that, that God will take out that stony heart, and he'll put it a heart of flesh that will beat in harmony with his own. Amen? And that's what we all need. I love the story of Moses. It's so interesting when you read about Moses and how he was called to deliver the people of God. Now, first he thought that he could do it in his own strength. He thought that, yep, he's the man. He can do it. And you might remember the story. He goes and he sees this Egyptian that is beating this Hebrew, and he gets so angry, he goes up to the Egyptian, and he actually kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand, and he thinks, yep, here we go. I'm going to deliver my people. Well, it turns out that the Pharaoh gets furious and uh, wants to seek to take the very life of Moses. And so he flees into the wilderness. And he spends 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years. And during this time, God is, is, is humbling him and allowing him to see that, that it's in the power of God that he will be able to deliver his people, but not in his own power, not in his own strength. Self had to die in Moses. And you might, you might remember this instance where God actually, you know, speaks to Moses and, and, and he speaks to him through this uh, uh, burning bush. You remember the story? 
And, and what does God say to Moses as he's standing before that burning bush? God is speaking to him and says, take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. And then God asks him to let go of the staff in his hand. Remember that? Isn't it interesting? Have you ever thought about the fact that Moses is a shepherd in the wilderness? Now, in the wilderness, there's a lot of things that are kind of, you know, dangerous. You have sharp rocks. You have snakes. You have all kinds of stuff. You have thorns. And his protection for a shepherd living at that time was the sandals on his feet and the staff in his hand. And God says, let it go. Why does God say, let it go? Because God is trying to teach him a lesson that when you come into the presence of God, you don't need to defend or protect yourself. God will be your protection. Amen? And God gives him the call to be the very one through who he delivers his people in Egypt. And many times in our life, when we look at this great big controversy that we're involved in, when we come into circumstances and situations that challenge us, so many times we want to be ready to defend ourselves, right? We have the staff in our hand and the sandal on our, sandals on our feet, and, and there, there's this eye that is alive and well. We want to make sure that we get the last word in our marriage, right, with our spouse. We want to make sure that we get the position at our job, right? We want to make sure that we make it in life, and then God says, let go. Let go. You can let go and you can let me take control of your life. And that's the call within this great controversy, that our heart is changed and that we receive a heart that beats in harmony with the very heart of the Creator God. And He will take care of us. You know, Moses was in the safest place he could be when he let go of that staff and he took off those sandals because he was in the presence of God. You don't need to defend yourself. You can say, Lord, I trust in you. I want you to take control of my life. Now let's go um, in closing here. I want to bring you to the very uh, passage in, in the book of Genesis where we find how this conflict um, erupted here on this earth because this becomes very central um, as, we're going to, as we're going to continue in our studies uh, throughout this seminar. Uh, we're going to find that in the very beginning of this great controversy here on earth, certain claims were made by the enemy. And through the course of Bible prophecy, you see how God answered these claims or how he basically refuted these lies that um, the enemy brought um, to the first uh, human beings there in the Garden of Eden. So let's go to Genesis chapter 3 and beginning in verse 1. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, uh, we don't have a lot of time here, so, but you will remember the story. God gave them all the, all the trees in the, in the garden and said you may eat of all of them. But he pointed out one that they were not to eat of. Remember? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, as the woman makes her way to that tree, you remember the story? They're the serpent. Now, this is the very Lucifer, the being that, that was cast out of heaven, takes the form of the serpent and speaks to the woman and says, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, is that what God said? No, God pointed out one tree that they were not to eat of, but he says you shall not eat of, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? In other words, he's exaggerating, right? He's exaggerating the story here, the picture here. In other words, he's saying God is limiting you. 
God is limiting you. You can't eat of all the trees. You're really going to follow that kind, of, that kind of a God that wants to limit you? And my friends, that is a claim that exists even unto our day today. How many times do we hear that? That, you know, if you're going to get involved in following Christ, if you're going to get involved in, in becoming a Christian, your life is going to be limited. The same argument that was what was in the beginning made by this enemy is still, we hear it echoed in our world today, right? Now take notice what else he says, verse 2, and, two to 4. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat uh, the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So, first he says, God is basically saying God is limiting you. And then he says, if you eat of this, this fruit, you're not going to die. In other words, what he's saying is, God's word cannot be trusted. God says, you will die, but I'm telling you, you won't. God is limiting you, and God's word cannot be trusted. Another thing that we hear, this lie has echoed down to 2014, as still many people will say, God's word cannot be trusted. But I challenge you that if you think that God's word cannot be trusted, I invite you to come to every single evening that we'll be gathering here. And we will find out that Bible prophecy is like the signature of God himself upon the events that have happened and the events that are going to happen, showing that this book can be trusted. Amen? I mean, I, I, I like to challenge people that are skeptical towards this book because as time is going on, there are more and more discoveries that are being made. Archaeology confirms the Word of God. Prophecy confirms the Word of God. And your personal experience can confirm the Word of God in your life. Amen? So God's Word can be trusted, but this was the lie. And then the third lie, chapter 3, verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, if you eat of this fruit, you're going to be like God, and God does not want that. In other words, God is selfish. God is selfish. He doesn't want you to experience what he is experiencing. That's the lie of the devil. So, just take notice of those three lies. God limits you. God's word cannot be trusted. And God is selfish. That's how the great controversy erupts upon this planet. God limits you. God's word cannot be trusted. God is selfish. And, and the rest of this story, the rest of this narrative of Scripture, all the way from the first book in the Bible to the last book in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we have here thousands of years of history and brought to our very present day and age, and it pictures how God is answering these claims and revealing to us that he can be trusted. That he's revealing to us that he's not out to limit us, but he's willing to give everything to us, even his only son. And that he is not selfish, but rather that he puts his character on display to show that he is selfless. Amen? And this is what we're going to discover in our studies of Bible prophecy. God is not out to limit you. God is out to give you the very best gifts of heaven. He wants to bless you abundantly. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. And God's word, my friends, can be trusted. 
It is a powerful revelation of who God in reality is. And there have been enemies at work to distort and defame the word of God and the picture of God. And yet God, in answering these claims, wants to reveal to you and to me the beauty of who he actually is. So I want to challenge you to come to this Bible prophecy seminar so that we can, through a study of the Bible and through a study of prophecy, receive a revelation of who God in reality is. And I want to close with this passage here. I want to close our first meeting, our first presentation with this passage found in Philippians chapter 2. And as we read this, I want you to think about the passage we already read in Isaiah chapter 14. In Isaiah chapter 14, we read about Lucifer. And Lucifer was on one course. He was on the upward course. He says, I want to be like the Most High. I want to be like this. I want to be like this. I want to be like this. Right? He wanted to be like God. Listen to Philippians chapter 2 and listen to what Jesus does, God does, in response to that. And we're going to close with this. It says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So in other words, we're about to get a revelation now into the mind of Christ. We had a revelation into the mind of Lucifer, and Lucifer went up, 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 up. And now we have a revelation into the mind of Christ. Listen to what it says. Who being in the form of God, did not consider, consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, Christ is equal with God. You don't rob something you already have. He had equality with God. He didn't have to take that. He didn't have to receive that. He had it. Okay, well, listen to what it says next. But made himself of how much reputation? No reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Huh. What did Christ do in response to the lies of the enemy that begun the great controversy in this planet? That be, was the very beginning of uncertain times? The response is that God said, okay, I won't, I'm, I'm not going to leave you in this mess. You know, we don't serve a God that is kind of in the corner of the universe, kind of looking on what is happening to planet Earth. Like, oh, they messed up. We don't, we don't, neither do we serve a God that is some kind of galactic cheerleader that now and then just, you know, cheers us on to do the right thing. We serve rather a God that, that, that puts himself in the midst of all this mess. And God sent his only son, Christ, into this world. He was equal with God, but he became, he put off, he put off his, 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 his he, he left his heavenly home, Right? He became one of us, and he became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. So he could take your sins and my sins upon himself and pay the price to set you free. What a beautiful, beautiful message. Amen? And as we are going to continue to study together into Bible prophecy, we're going to find out that God is through prophecy, through the events that have happened and through the events that are happening right now and are going to happen, is revealing his character. And my friends, it's a beautiful picture. And we need to see this picture. And so I hope that we can continue studying together. What we're going to do right now is we're going to um, close with a word of prayer. We'll have a 10-minute break, and then we'll go right into our second presentation tonight. We start a little bit later tonight, um, but we will try to get you out on time. The next presentation is not going to be a long one but it's going to be a powerful one. And so uh, let's have a short word of prayer as we, as we close this first session. 
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for guiding us in your word. Lord, as we've been looking at the great controversy between good and evil, we want to be on your side. Thank you for the gift of heaven, uh, that in, this, in your son Jesus, we can be set free. And Lord, I just pray that you will um, change our hearts so that we may become your followers and that our lives may be in harmony with yours. Thank you so much for being with us. And I pray that you'll continue to be with us. For this we ask in your precious name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.